0: Well, hello again. We are in 1 John, which is a letter that the Apostle John wrote to roughly seven churches in Asia Minor a long time ago, but they're relevant to us even to this day. We are in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. Uh, if you've got a Bible on your phone, I know we're going to throw the, the, the verses up there, but it's helpful throughout the sermon to have it open. Um, and so last week, last week we, we ended with verse 10. And today our passage begins with verse 10. It's a transition verse. John transitions from the family resemblance of righteousness to the family virtue of love. And John describes the children of God as those who love. Now, we all like to think we're loving people, right? Now, um, I guess if God graded on the curve, we would probably all have uh, passing grades. But God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades in his son. And in His Son, we see the love that, that the children of God are to manifest. I think this will humble us this morning, but I also think it will fill us with joy and, well, love. Our text, once again, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. but in deed and in truth. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we wanna know God, if we wanna know his will, if we wanna know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we delight that you have shown us, you have given us your word. And you've also shown us through your son what real genuine love looks like. No longer can we be content to love like this world loves. This world loves in order to get. This world loves those who are lovely. This world loves those who can benefit them. And we withhold love from those who cannot benefit us. This is not your way, Father. Help us to see the right and true way. Help us to receive it and to walk in it, we pray. Amen. Imagine if you can, God's up in heaven and he's looking down on his creation and he sees mankind made in his image. Uh, struggling, and toiling in life, and and bickering, and blaming, and shaming. And he sees the way we categorize everybody, right? The, the categories that we use to define our fellow human beings, you know, red state versus blue state, and blue collar versus professional, woke versus sleepers, locals versus cityites, And think of how we get all riled up and angered at those who who aren't in our tribe. Listen, if you could bottle up all the anger and vitriol that's just expressed on social media alone and exploded at one time, it would be like an atom bomb that would destroy millions. This way of humanity is nothing new. Grayson read earlier from Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The human race is angry and raging. And if we're honest with ourselves, each of us is prone to this. We think of our own tribe's views and possessions. We think they're the right ones. And so we build bigger walls of contempt to keep them at bay. And we ourselves find ourselves seething in self-righteousness, and we feel vindicated. In our passage, John brings to light the fact that From God's perspective, and his is a perspective that counts, by the way, there are only two categories that ultimately define every human being. The categories are children of God and children of the devil. Now, I know for some, when they hear that word, the devil, they just start tuning out. Uh, And if that's you, I just ask that for a few minutes, maybe you would tune in. There's a lot at stake. See, ultimately... When you get to the end of your short and very precious life, it will not matter if you're tribe one or not. What will matter, and the only thing that will matter, is the family to which you belong. And so the challenge this morning for us is twofold. If you aren't in God's family by virtue of faith in Christ, then the challenge for you this morning is is to comprehend your condition and turn in faith and experience this new birth that that faith brings about, this new birth into God's family. Now, the second challenge is for those who profess faith in Christ, and I'm guessing that's most of us here. This text will challenge you, challenge us to the core, to live with what John describes here as a laying down of one's life kind of love. Now, we embrace the notion of being loving, but to love at the level of laying down one's life out, that sounds kind of like an extreme level. Sounds impossible. Well, as we saw last week, the life that we're called to embody as God's children is only possible as we abide in Christ. And so too with our call to loving others with a Christ like love. Verse 17 makes it clear this is only possible as a byproduct of God's love abiding in us. And so the big idea here this morning we're going to explore is this. Because the children of God abide in God's love, we are to love with a Christ-like love. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Well, we're going to divide our time under three headings. First, we're going to look at the two paternities. Then we're going to look at the two people. And then lastly, the two paths. First, the two paternities Consider how awkward and offensive it would be to have to ask somebody to take a paternity test. <laughs> um, hey, mister, uh, I think it might be possible that you are my biological dad. Um, would you give me a sample of your DNA so we can know for sure? Be awkward, right? Well, John presents us with a paternity test that we can all take, and yes, it's a bit au- awkward, and also it is a bit offensive. See, John affronts us with the stark truth that every human human being belongs to one of two fathers. You either are a child of God or a child of the devil. There is no third option. And, of course, 99% of people insist that they for sure belong to God's people. No test for me. You can go to the next point, preacher. But as awkward and offensive as it can be, we need to know. And how are we to know? John gives us a paternity test. It's in verse 10. He says, by this, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the paternity test is this, do you practice righteousness and do you love? Now, John covered righteousness last week, and so did we, and his paternity test from here on out addresses the love component. Love is the foundational ethic that reveals your paternity. Now, we need to understand this. Every human being is capable of love in a broad sense. I read a book on Jesse James, and it's even said that this outlaw murderer Jesse James loved his mother dearly. And so what we need to identify is the type of love that sets one apart as a child of God instead of a child of the devil. We're gonna look at this type of love in the last point. Right now we're gonna focus on the paternity. John says you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. And to that we go, yikes. In 2016, Gallup did a poll. 90% of those who responded said they believed in God, while only 61% said they believed in the devil. On one hand, it makes sense, right? We'd much prefer to believe in something that benefits us and makes us better. And we much prefer to ignore something that works for our harm and produces evil in us. So we deny the devil's existence. But also this denial shouldn't surprise us either. I mean, if Jesus called the devil the father of all lies and one of the lies people believe is that he doesn't exist, well there you go. <laughs> now the Bible doesn't tell us everything that our inquisitive minds would like to know about the devil. We do know that he's called state Satan, which is really more of a title than a name. The Hebrew word Satan means to oppose, to obstruct, to accuse. And in the Greek it's just a transliteration, Satan. It literally means adversary. We don't have sufficient time to do a deep dive into who the devil is, how he came to be, and what he's up to. So let's just, let's just, trust him more. Let's just turn to a more trusted voice, the most trusted voice in the universe. Let him settle the debate. You remember the time when certain Jewish leaders were debating with Jesus, and they ended their attack with an attempt to kill Jesus? You can read it in John chapter 8. Here's what Jesus says to them, beginning in verse 42. Listen, he says, Jesus said, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. Imagine to be there, to hear that. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Listen, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So from the lips of the very Son of God, we come to understand a couple things as they relate to this text this morning. One, the devil exists. Two, the devil is a murderer, a truthless liar, and the father of lies. And three, the devil has children. Who are the children of the devil? Those who are unable to hear the words of God. Those who do not believe that God sent Jesus' Son to save them. And so with regards to one's spiritual paternity, there's only two options. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. There is no third rail, no third option. Now, perhaps you're, you're thinking, this is, this is just all too harsh. My God would never be like that. If that's your thoughts, then I'm afraid that Jesus' words are true concerning you. If you buy into the lie that there must be more than one way to God and one, more than one way to peace with him, even when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, there is no, uh, um, um, that he is the one way to heaven. If you, if you don't believe that, then I'm afraid the father of all lies has sadly caused you to believe the lie. But listen, all is not lost. Check this out. Millions of people, millions of people who were once children of the evil one have become children of God, and I am living proof of that. The great prophet Led Zeppelin was right. Yes, there are two paths (laughs) you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And then there's this guitar riff, which is really cool. But this departing from the path of eternal death to eternal life is not a work that you do. It is a work that God does for you. Jesus came from God to undo the work of the devil and deliver us from his slavish rule. Remember that from last week? I kind of held this verse over. Here's what John said last week. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. A quick point of reflection. Listen, your only hope is Jesus. Confucius did not destroy the works of the devil. Neither did Buddha. Both teachers are buried in their graves still. It is said of Buddha that his dying words were these, strive without ceasing. Jesus' dying words were, it is finished. I don't know about you, but give me Jesus. That's the two paternities. Now for the two people. After describing the paternity test, John John walks us back in time to the very beginning of history to show us a case study of what this looks like. And he gives us a case study of the prototypical loveless man, whom he calls a child of the devil, Cain. Verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, who were Cain and Abel, and how does this story of of two people illustrate the paternity test? Well, you can read their story in Genesis chapter four. Cain was Adam and Eve's first child. Abel was their second child. They were brothers Cain was a farmer who toiled the soil and Abel was a shepherd who tended the flock. Both made sacrifices to the Lord's, but only Abel's was acceptable in God's sight. And Cain became angry at Abel and was jealous. God came to Cain and he cautioned him. He said, be careful, sin is crouching at his door. God was giving Cain an opportunity to turn, to repent, to turn to the Lord. Instead, instead he murdered his brother, and Abel's blood soaked into the soil. Again, God came to Cain asking, where is your brother? Cain's reply, listen, Cain's reply is haunting and revelatory. Cain replied to God, "Uh, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? First, Cain does know, right? He's lying, and who's the father of all lies? We figured that out. But more than that, and here's where the light bulb should be going going on. In saying, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Cain is verbalizing his heart attitude that led to the murder. And what is the heart attitude? It's indifference. Now, on the, on the surface, indifference doesn't seem so onerous. It comes so easy to us. But as you dig deeper, indifference becomes horrendous. It rips at the very good intentions of God for creatures made in his image, which is why the Nobel laureate and Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel, famously remarked, he said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Listen, we were made by God with the understanding that we cannot rightly image God on our own as individuals apart from relationship with others. Why is this? It's because God is a trinity. He's a community of deep deep attachment. God created human beings to flourish in loving, nurturing, caring community with the attitude of loving others above oneself. Indifference to others made in God's image is the heart attitude of the children of the devil, and it leads to all kinds of evil actions, including murder. Do you remember Jesus' warning uh, on the Sermon on the Mount? Listen closely to what Jesus said with regards to attitudes of our hearts. He takes them to a whole other level. He says, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Why does Jesus warn us against anger and insults and name-calling? How is it that that anger equates to murder? Well, think about it, my friends. Every murder ever committed began as anger, rooted in indifference in your heart. Indifference towards a fellow human being made in God's image, right? Jesus is saying that to have anger in your heart is to harbor pre-murderous dispositions. Hatred, listen, is murder in embryonic form. Hatred is the wish that the other person no longer existed, right? It's the longing in the sense that he or she would be dead. The world would be better without you. Idiot. That is why John writes in verse 15 that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. Does this, does this not challenge us this morning? Jesus takes attitudes that are hidden in our hearts to a whole new level of importance. You know, we think and wish that that we, we think we're okay simply because we've never unsheathed a knife or never cocked a gun. You know, I must confess that that I find this indifference still lingering in my heart. I've been a Christian for a number of years now. And yet there's this still, this lingering aspect of that old person that I want to die so that Christ can live in me. And I find in that person indifference, and I find in that person anger. And Jesus says, no, that, that's pre-murderous. Get rid of that. So we've looked at the two paternities and the two people, now for the two paths. We see these in verses 13 through 18, and John highlights these two paths. What are they? They are the path of life and the path of death. Now a commentator named Bob Yarbrough, in his commentary, subdivides this section into three parts. I stole them from him. Thanks, Bob. All right. Um, So the first part is this, the world's hostilities and the believer's charity. We see it in verses 13 and 14. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John seems to be referencing some sort of social rejection or ostracism that the Christians in Asia Minor back then were experiencing. Now, brothers and sisters today, please understand our generations of Christians aren't the first to experience hatred So don't be surprised, that's what John is saying. It's true, we have the words of God directing our understanding, we have the mind of Christ, we have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us to cause us to know this truth and delight in it. And so when we live out our mission to tell the world this, to tell people in our community that yeah, you're a sinner, but you're also loved by a savior, don't be surprised when they lash out, you judgmental Christians. Your hate speech must be censored John wants his readers to not be surprised when the world rages at the children of God. And John is simply relaying the words that he heard years before when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What does he say? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What typically runs through our heads when someone lashes out at us, when we're simply trying to maybe share God's love or to point them to God's path, and we do it in love, and then people lash out. Our tendency is to think, perhaps something's wrong. You know, did I do something wrong? But John gives us words of assurance. He, 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 he turns and he, and he gives this charity of God in verse 14. He says, we know. He says, we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Christian, because of God's charity towards you in Christ, you have been transferred from the path of death to the path of life. And to know this changes everything for you. Christian, just think about the joy that God gives you as you abide in him. I mean, even while you're being falsely accused or ridiculed or mocked or shamed for his sake, We're still able to experience this great joy and delight and love, even for those who persecute us. That's because we've been taken from the path of death and placed in the path of life. It's because God's love abides in us. So the paths of life or death are characterized by charity and hostility. Next, we look at Cain's progeny and Christ's precedent. No one's taking notes. That's all right. It's going right in there. Um, Christ precedent. In verse 15, John builds up on what we discussed earlier. And what did he discuss? We discussed earlier that, that, that love is at a whole different level that, that we're called to live out. That, that indifference and hate is, in God's eyes, murder. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John is saying that, that those whose life is patterned, the ongoing pattern of self-centered indifference is of the evil one. It, it, it manifests it as hatred. And this being present in someone's life marks that person as what? A murderer. And proves that there is no eternal life abiding in him or her. To hate is to be a murderer in God's sight. You know, last week I was standing outside of Southampton Hospital, waiting my turn to get in. They have to check everybody in order to go in. I was on my way for some physical therapy. And finally, I was second in line behind this old, very well-dressed and very angry man who did not have appointment and with the COVID protocols was being prohibited from entering. And then in his thick Eastern European accent, he started screaming. And cussing at this lady behind the plastic shield who was just doing her job. She left to go get the security guard, and and I tried to calm the man down. I was just, I tried to inform him she just has a job to do, she's just following the protocols. She went to get security, and along through the line comes another man, and he asked what's going on, and, and I said, This older man is just cussing out this poor lady. He says, Oh, that doesn't surprise me. And then I came to realize that this new man is actually the son of the other man who just dropped off his dad and went and parked the car. And he too, the veins popping out, started screaming and cussing at the lady. And he actually at one point screamed, I'm the guy who gets people fired. And he cussed her out again. When they were finally allowed to enter the hospital, and yes, they finally let him in. It was my turn. I tried to encourage the woman, tried to express my support, and then I ended by saying, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, to which she says, you got that right. Now listen, according to John's words here, and Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, that man and his son both murdered that woman in their hearts. Listen, before we get all self-righteous on that man and his son, we should all be humbled. Every one of us here, according to John's definition and Jesus's definition, is a murderer. Indifferent is how we were all born. We're all born abiding in death. And were it not for God's mercy and his grace, we would all one day, too, face God's judgment throne. Honestly, just consider how many times have you murdered someone in your own heart? You may have had just cause. They may have sinned against you. But instead of loving them in return, your heart said, am I my brother's keeper? We're all guilty of murder in the first degree. Which is why John, and notice this, notice this, which is why John doesn't go from talking about Cain and the offspring of Cain and then turn and point us to Abel and the offspring in Abel. No, who does he point us to? He points us to Christ. By this we know love, that he, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. As I said before, the love that John seems to be talking about is of a different species, right? And so the question we should ask is, what time of love is this? How do we know it? And interesting, John says, we already know this love. If you're in Christ, you already know This love, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Amazing, right? Whereas Cain and the subsequent children of the devil say, am I my brother's keeper? Jesus was sent by God and came for our salvation. He says, yes, I am my brother's keeper. Listen, the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross is the love that actually makes peace. It tears down the walls of hostility that we build up. And it should baffle our minds that God would send his son to die in our place, to die for murderers like us. And that is what you and I were before we came to abide in God's love. And so it is this type of love, this other-centered, self-sacrificial, yes, I am my brother's keeper kind of love that the children of God experience from their Father in heaven, and therefore we delight to live it out in our communities. And when we live it out, it is totally counter-cultural. It says no to, you know, uh, red state, blue state. It says no to all the categories. It says, there is but sons of God and sons of the devil, and we delight to be placed in God's family. This is how God loves us, with mercy and compassion for sinners. And therefore, this is a love that we are to abide in, and this is the love that we are to manifest in, no matter what tribe, People are categorized into. This is a love of God that flows from God and now abides in us. A love that says, yes, I am my brother's keeper, no no matter how he has sinned against me. The children of God are alive to this laying down of life kind of love. Now, I'm thankful we have verses 17 and 18. 18. That's what we're gonna end with. Here John shows love's practicality. Why am I thankful? Um, it's because this imagery of like laying down one's life sacrificially for others, I mean, it just doesn't seem like a maybe it could be a regular occurrence. Like, I mean, you can only die once, right? So John gives us practical outworkings, and he shows us that this giving of one's life for others isn't a one-time action, but an ongoing attitude which is why John writes these practical instructions in our last two verses. But if anyone has the world's goods, and guess what, my friends, we all have the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. That's easy. Yeah, I love you. I'm going to go back to words with friends. I know you're in need but in deed and in truth. John is saying that this laying down of one's life kind of love works out in our daily concern and care for others. See, if the way of Cain is indifference, then the way of God's children is empathy and concern that works its way out in deeds of sacrificial love, even to people wearing MAGA hats (laughs) or BLM t-shirts, We love not just in word or talk, but in concrete deeds. Our lives are to be love in action. And so this is where I think we're challenged. Our minds affirm that we are to love with a Christ-like love, but the old selfish self, the the flesh that we read of, our flesh battles against it. And so we wake up most days indifferently thinking about our day, our plans, our challenges. (laughs) Do we not? Is it not just me, right? First person I think about when I wake up is, guess who? Yep. Me. But that's just part and parcel for the human condition. But thankfully, as John tells us in verse 17, God's love abides in his children. Thank God it does. For without his charity from God, our daily lives, we, we, we could never lay down our lives in love for others. So Christian, we're gonna wrap up. Delight delight in what I'm about to say. You know you are a child of God because God's love, this, this sacrificial love from heaven, delights you and abides in you. Now I know far too often we don't feel loving. We often focus on our many failures to love sacrificially. But take note of this. First, the children of the devil they don't lament their failures to love. They blame shift, they make excuses. But not you, why? Because you're a child of God and his love abides in you and you know how to repent. So yes, when you fail to love, acknowledge it, confess it to God and return to the cross and abide in God's love afresh. And as you abide in God's love, you will grow in love for others. Listen, it's impossible not to grow in love for others as you've been abiding in God's love for you. It's just impossible. And second, right now, especially as we come before this Lord's Supper, set aside your past failures at the cross and allow this truth to sink in. The fact that you truly do know that Christ loves you with a laying down of his life for you love, the fact that you know this, in your heart and soul means that you are God's child and as his child God is patient with you and though you can look back and see times when you should have loved but didn't there are many times that God sees when you turn the other cheek and you loved with a Christ-like love In grace and mercy, you've looked upon others with this Christ-like love, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have loved them in word and deed. So listen, rejoice. This is a sign that you have passed the paternity test, and you are on the path of eternal life. And so as we come to the Lord's table, as we sing our final song, which fits well with what we've been discussing, how about celebrating God's love over you and in you. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've opened up our minds and our hearts to what true love is. It's a love that tears down the walls of sin for the sake of saving people to be your children, and we've experienced that that love. We're thankful that you weren't indifferent to our condition, Father, and you sent your son to lay down his life, that we may be brought in to your family. What joy this brings us, help to produce in us a deeper abiding in this love, that your work of love for this world would be moved in us and through us. We pray